welcome to TA1. Everything you wanted to know about adventure racing and then some. I'm your host, legendary Randy Erickson. Got my uh, co-host, the wild bird Jimmy here. So to hear me yelling at the bird, it's because she likes chewing on me in the excitement of recording another podcast. So um, got Rob Preston on this week. I've had this one for uh, maybe a month or so. Uh, it was right after uh, Coast to Coast we chatted, so I thought I better get this out because I've got a whole bunch of God's Own episodes and more from uh, Maya Mountain, Belize, and some really cool XPD things. And we're getting close to episode 200, which will be another special episode and that's all i'm going to say about it for right now um i guess i really should say thank you to everybody that's uh for some reason it's getting more ah, no. that dinging was just got a uh um message from ayakabura in japan she wanted to use some footage for the race, for the team presentation, uh, opening ceremonies, race, or awards for the, the Japanese uh, exhibition adventure race world series race coming up in June. So that would be a really cool reason to go to that race, you know, among others, but get to see video from me. So anyway, um, that's a... Uh, there's the singer, so I think that's time to get out of here. So um, let's listen to what Rob had to say. He had a really cool race. It was fun to talk to him about that. Uh, you know, like I say about a lot of these guys, one of my one of my friends, and uh, had some cool, interesting things to say, just like all you people. Anyway, that's enough rambling. I think it's because it's getting late. It's like 10 o'clock. I try to get these done a little earlier in the day. So uh, go fast, take chances, and uh, it's bedtime almost. Thanks for listening. Bye. Hello, Randy. Hey, Rob. How are you? Yeah, I'm good, thanks. How are you? I'm doing pretty good. So it got up to, well, let's see, yesterday it was 4 degrees Fahrenheit, and today it was 50. Wow. <laughs> So I hear it's in a cold uh, winter over there in North America. Um, yeah, we haven't been too bad, but you know we're kind of in this this area that they literally call the banana belt because we do get weather like yeah four degrees for one day and then fifty the next. So I can I can handle that, but I'm ready for spring. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure you are. Yeah. All right. So I'm going to start by asking you. The stupidest question that I've ever asked in four years. <laughs> so, in the United States, when we were young, we'd start digging a hole, you know, in the weekend or in summertime, and we'd dig to China. So when you dig a hole in Australia, where do you go to? Um, Russia. <laughs> okay. So. We're a little bit further south, so I guess... Gonna end up further north of China, so it's been a while since I looked at the globe, though. Yeah, that that sounds reasonable, though. <laughs> so we're gonna go for that. So, um, and then, okay, I've got one other question because I went on a little bit of a uh, rabbit hole. Are are you still working at Hazelwood the power plant? Uh, no, it shut in. March last year, and yeah, I was made redundant, so that gave me uh, a bit of free time to do a few extra races in 2017, but then uh, after I came home from Wyoming in August, it was really time to find a new job, and yeah, it's been a career change for me, so I'm actually now a health promotion officer, which is quite a bit different to a power station operator. Um, but that's uh, that's life for you. It throws up 
obstacles and new challenges and new opportunities. So uh, still living in the same area, but I actually uh, have, uh, yeah, I, I drive 45 minutes the opposite direction to my new job and I don't actually even go past the old power station very often anymore. Yeah. Well, and it kind of sounds like a job right up right up your alley, so to speak. Yeah, look, I do get a lot of people make that comment and when they see me uh, ride my bike two hours to get to work some days, I certainly don't do it every day, uh, then they're yeah, quite astounded and think that I'm well suited to a, a health promotion job. So, yeah. yeah, it's something that I didn't actually have any formal qualifications in, but uh, bringing in a lot of life experience and um, you know, knowledge of health science and that type of thing. So it was um, good to get a new opportunity to start something new. Yeah. So you have um, street cred, so to speak, but do you tell people, yeah, exercise, but maybe don't quite do what I do? <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. At first, I, I don't really tell them uh the extent of the events that I do, but uh, the more you know, I start to get to know people, uh, I'll explain that yeah, doing a 13-hour coast-to-coast race is you know actually just a regular weekend almost uh, compared mm-hmm. to some of the bigger races that I do, uh, and yeah, look, I just you know, can't really comprehend that to be honest. But uh, it's yeah, it's good to have a of excuse to go for a run at lunchtime and make it look like you're, um, you know, just promoting health, but you know, yeah. sort of doing it for my own benefits, aren't I? So, well, that's kind of cool. Who, um, who is who is more incredulous at what you did? The people that you are making healthy, or the power plant workers? <laughs> um, yeah, good question. The the power plant. You had a, you know, a lot of different personalities there, and it had some, yeah, some very fit, active people. And shift work actually does give you a bit more opportunity to train during the day when the weather might be nicer, and uh, you get uh, work up extra hours and have more time to go and do these races. But then the other side of it is the guys who have been in that job for twenty or thirty years or forty years, and they get pretty comfortable with the um, Homer Simpson chair, and they uh, they're the world's biggest experts in um, yeah armchair sports and spectating mm-hmm. sports. But yeah, they uh, don't really quite understand what you do either. Yeah, but you know, every once in a while, I mean, when I was working commercial construction many years ago. You know, people would start to get interested in what you're doing, and and you know, it would wouldn't be quite so foreign to them. So, I, I don't know if it made fans of them, but they at least understood a little bit what you were doing. Yeah, yeah. yeah. the actual small section that I worked in, uh, there were quite a few active cyclists in that group. So, it was, um, yeah, they they understood, but uh, yeah, as a whole, yeah, a lot of a lot of people didn't, didn't really understand. Yeah, I get that. Um, all right, so your turn to talk. Tell me everything that happened at Coast to Coast. Okay, well, I'm sure most of um, your listeners have heard of the Coast to Coast, but I'll, I'll run through yeah. a um, description of what it is. And so it, it's a race, multi-sport race. Road cycling, running, and kayaking across the South Island of New Zealand, uh, from the west coast to the east coast. And it's been around since really predates adventure racing. Uh, it started in 1982, and it actually started off as a, a two-day event, and then they got into it a few years, and I guess people wanted a, an added challenge, and it became uh, known as the longest day. So that's like the the premier category and we call it the World Multisport Championships. And most of uh, New Zealand's you know, really good adventure racers have, have cut their teeth on this event and all the others that have um, 
you know, spawned out of it and created a new sport, really. Uh, and uh, it's it's always been, you know, attractive to Australian athletes to go over there and do it, but and mm. all Europeans as well. Uh, but it is very a difficult race to to go and do, expect to do well at, uh, because the course has a lot of local knowledge and uh, a lot of specific skills that are, you, know, you can only really learn by paddling in a, a New Zealand river or um, by running over the run course um, time and time again. But recently, they made some changes just in the last two years where they're marking the run course better because this run course, while it is, uh, you don't necessarily have to navigate, uh, there's very few course markings out there and you basically run up one valley over a pass and then down the other side and in that course you know, you'll be just running up creek beds and crossing rivers time and time again and mm. the fastest route actually sort of changes each year depending on the floods uh, where it may have washed away tracks or depending on the water level you might actually have to climb up over over bluffs and cliffs on the side of the track and that that can make it slower. So, yeah, look, I went over and uh, supported my teammate Damon 11 years ago, and ever since then I've been uh, saying, oh, yeah, I'll go and race this race, and I only got around to doing it this year, so uh, but glad to tick the box on such an iconic event. And, yeah. Uh, yeah. It's, it's certainly an event that uh, it's growing again, the... Um, numbers are building up and they're making it more accessible with a few different team categories and uh, yeah, certainly the two day option is uh, by far the, the most popular uh, and there's only about 150 individuals that do it in one day and there's quite strict cutoffs in that one day event as well which is really what would keep the numbers down um, yeah so I'll run through the the course uh, starts off with a 2.2-kilometre uh, run from the beach to where your bikes are. So it's kind of like a Le Mans start and pretty fast pace even though uh, you've got you know, 11, 12, 13, 16 hours ahead of you. It's an uh, absolute uh, a race from the, the gun. And then once you're up on your bikes, it's actually a, a draft legal ride. Uh, so that's really why everyone wants to go hard so they can get in the, you know, the best possible group of riders around them. And so then the quick transition and onto the bikes and, um, yeah, it's a 55 kilometre road cycle. And so then when you hop off that one, uh, you start the 33 kilometre mountain run. And yeah, that's, um, that goes up over an area called Go Pass, it's a, just over a thousand metres in elevation and then from there on it's, you know, you can literally say it's downhill all the way to the other side of the coast. Um, mm -hmm. And yeah, so go down some rough trails into um, the next valley and then another like a short linking bike ride of 15 kilometres, and that one and the final rider draft, um, non-drafting, and that ride will take you down to uh, Mount White Bridge, and there's a, you have to hop off your bike, run a kilometre down to the river, and you've got a sport crew, and then you start 70 kilometre down river kayak, uh, so down the Finally, you hop out with the boat and crawl your way up a hill to your bike and hop back on and do a 70 kilometre ride into uh, New Brighton Beach, so reaching the east coast. And typically that one is uh, into a headwind, and yeah, this year was no different. It was a pretty stunning day weather-wise, but it did sort of turn. Um, quite windy at the end, but most people sort of knew that that was to be expected. Yeah, I've heard that, um, that uh, yeah, it's always a headwind. 
So, but um, so this is actually a race where you do have to go balls out at the start to make sure you get into a good group. Um, yeah. How big a group were you with? So I didn't make the front pack. Uh, I ran about 30 seconds slower over two kilometres to the front guys. And it's kind of funny when you talk to people before the race about you know what to expect. And the thing that I was most scared of over 240 kilometre race was uh, was that first two kilometre run. And <laughs> my my running legs uh, aren't as fast as what they used to be. And uh, I was yeah not looking forward to that at all. So there was a group of twelve guys in front, and uh, I was in the second pack, and we were in the court. Then uh, I had most of the good women uh, athletes were in the pack. There were about twenty-five uh, riders we had, and then after that, I've got no idea how many more packs there were. So we were. Uh, Four minutes down, or five minutes down after the leaders at the end of that bike ride, and uh, so then it was a matter of just building into uh, into the run and working with the the guys who knew the course better than what I did, and eventually uh, head back a couple of the of the early bunch uh, guys on the run. But yeah, look. A good ten of them I never saw again for the rest of the day after about the first kilometre. So that sort of shows how crucial it is to, um, to go hard at the start. Yeah. So well, you did finish tenth, right? Yeah. So look, I was you know, pretty happy with that yeah. result. Uh, I certainly put a lot less preparation into this event than uh, most of the guys in front of me, and that in terms of going over. I hadn't trained on the course and only turned up two days before the event, which was uh, turned out to be probably too short and quite stressful trying to uh, pick up a boat that I've never paddled before and uh, get myself set up in that. And uh, So, yeah, uh, the guys in front were all had really good days and um, but yeah, I, was, I was happy with my performance and I was happy with my result, but it's very easy to look at the splits and think about all the things that how the day went and always uh, overanalyze and think about how you can do better. And the next day, I thought, oh, I don't really need to go back. I'm satisfied with that one. But then, uh, it, probably by the time I hopped off the plane that night, uh, I was uh, already thinking, geez, I might have to lock that one out next week, next year, and. Well, yeah, maybe at least get there a day earlier. Um, yeah, yeah. Well, is it um, is it is it fun doing an individual event like that as opposed to the team with a adventure race? Uh, yeah. Look, I I actually really enjoyed the day. I I've gone into it without sort of setting too many high expectations, and I'd also told myself that. I really needed to take the time to actually look around and enjoy the view, and and that's what I did. Like the, the once it actually became, because you're, you're starting in the dark, so the first section of that ride is, uh, you know, a little bit more difficult, and especially riding the, the pack of cyclists. But then once the morning came, uh, you see how beautiful the terrain is, and again on that mountain run, uh, I. I was on my own sort of after about the first hour to uh, pretty well to the finish. Uh, so another like two and a half hours where I only saw two people. And so I had you know, plenty of time. I made myself look around and enjoy the view. And, and then even when I was suffering in the kayak a little bit, I sort of thought, you know, just take the time, look around, don't really... Um, wasn't until maybe the last four hours of the race where I, I had to focus a little bit more on on the guys that were around me to uh, help keep up my momentum and and then the last bike ride I can't say really uh, there's not much less of a view there anyway but then it was really heads down and and get to the finish line um, so you know I enjoyed doing that and. 
a couple of years ago, I did a couple of uh, Ironman triathlons, and everyone was like, oh, you're going to find it so boring. Like, what are you doing? But I, I think you just get used to what you're doing, and it's always nice to have a different challenge. And yeah. and that's what that's what solo racing brings to you as well. So, yeah, you've got no one to sort of think about or not. Yeah. Are are you are you looking around more? Are you enjoying the experiences more? As you, I hate to say it, are getting a little older or maybe a little more experienced, or have you always been able to, you know, enjoy the, what you're the scenery and things like that, the experience? Uh, look, there's certainly been some races where I've finished, and I, I don't think it's got anything to do with more or less experience, but some races, you know, I may have gone back through that area or something and I've gone, oh wow, I don't really remember that at all. And uh, also, a lot of it dictates where you are at night time as well. You might, often you look at photographs and you're like, after the race and you're like, wow, that was stunning there, but I don't really even remember it. And um, maybe you're there at the daytime, maybe you just had your head down on looking at the map. Um, but I certainly am trying to make the most of um, yeah, the days I've got left racing and and picking races that are going to be, you know, I think are going to be in interesting destinations and good courses and things like that. Um, yeah. They're not necessarily just, uh, you know, to race the best competition or, um, you know, or to pick a race that's going to have no competition as well. Sometimes that might be the goal to try to qualify for the world championships but it's more the um, more the experience and the and the views that you get that you know make you yeah. yeah. So well let's let's talk adventure racing. Theoretically that's what we're supposed to be talking about. So <laughs> um, so you guys you're like kinda right in the m- middle of your season in Australia, uh, right? Oh uh, not really. We kind of just started a little bit earlier this year. At least, um, we had, I actually had a, a bigger break at the end of last year because we had the World Championships in August. Uh, mm-hmm. That meant that you, know, you had, you're well and truly recovered by Christmas time, which I find doesn't happen if I have a race in mid November. Uh, and that was actually part of the reason why I really couldn't miss the opportunity to race coast to coast this year because I could do it on, you know, four months training or something rather than only two months, which is what happens if you've got a, a late world championships. Um, but no, our, our Adventure One series, it just kicked off only two weeks ago and it's actually like our, our national day on the 26th of January. So we have a long weekend there and then um, we've got Another four races coming up all the way through to uh, October, so really only just, just getting started with our season, and then of course the Adventure Race World Series must be kicking off pretty soon too. I think you might be at the first race. Yeah, well, Belize is in uh, like well, I leave in ten ten days, so yeah, yeah. we're we're getting here. So. I'm seeing and hearing a lot of good stuff about the A1 series, and I know you're you're kind of part of it. But where did where did it come from, and what's kind of their goal? Yeah, okay. Well, yeah, it hasn't been around for very long, and uh, Todd Vickery, who's the founder, he hasn't even been in, involved in adventure racing for very long. Then he. Uh, his first race was in X-Trail in China just two years ago, uh, but he came home from that with um, a lot of motivation to uh, be involved in the sport, and he felt like he had some good skills to offer from uh, his you know, background in business, and so he thought that the sport looked a little bit fragmented, particularly, you know, he was only looking domestically in Australia when um, when the concept came along and really what it was about developing um, a good competition amongst the top teams in Australia and 
again, it's it's a very you know, Australia's a big country like America, but uh, so you can find that you'll have po- small pockets where there's um, good small competitions that might get a lot of um, really strong teams. I mean, that might be down in Victoria or where I live, and there was certainly um, some strong competitions up in, in Queensland, uh, further north, but not many races where you would get all of those guys racing against each other. Uh, I mean, you know, really one or two events where that might happen. So Todd uh, negotiated with some of the existing race organisers to, to put this series together, and it still keeps the the essence of each of those race organisers and their um, uh, uniqueness, but it was to uh, develop some some competition and a point score and also just try to get people racing more consistently in the same team because otherwise you, you do see it in the World Series a little bit as well or um, other areas around the world where best races only just tend to race with the best races and uh, the, the four teams there might be just a different combination of the same 16 athletes that were there last year. Uh, so having this series throughout the season um, and we're hopefully attracting some more teams to, once they do one race, uh, to then uh, continue on and, and try to get a good score throughout the season. And um, yeah, and then since... Uh, we had a pretty quick growth through the A1 series and um, having uh, Warren Bates from uh, God's Own team saw the, the potential for it and since then has grown a New Zealand round and then very recently just announced the, the South African round, which um, I was certainly pretty excited when I, I read that uh, and, and saw all the, the race organisers there because uh, it's there's a lot of really good uh, athletes there and like the race organisers are all um, very good experienced and um, international races uh, and like I thought looked at the destinations I don't know South Africa that well but each race organiser or destination I saw I thought wow I'd actually like to compete in that series as well so yeah it's um, it's definitely a growing quite quickly and uh, yeah it's concentrating at this stage in the like uh, sub 48 hour event uh, and you know, more the 24 hour event so um, I guess a, a stepping stone to uh, expedition racing uh, but but then it also makes it easier on the body to be able to go and compete in you know, four or five of these a year and then maybe do one you know a god zone or a Adventure Race World Series race or something like that as well. So we don't want to make it too much. But, um, you know, it just leaves everyone, again, not wanting to do, you know, the whole series or, um, you know, getting, getting tired. Yeah. Is it a compliment to the World Series or a competitor or how, I mean, personally, how do you see it? Uh, look, I, I certainly saw it as a, a compliment, uh, mm-hmm. and when I first saw the the concept, was uh, really I wanted to see some more more Australian teams uh, racing domestically against each other more often. But then that then leading to uh, more teams going and doing adventure race world series events because yeah, for like the last four or five years. Quite often, I may have been the only one, uh, only Australian at, at the World Championships. Or, mm-hmm. uh, yeah. so it's kind of a bit disappointing to go all the way over there and, you know, and me find the um, Father Stripes flag and, and not have anyone representing Australia. So that's what I saw. Uh, uh, you know, it was going to be a great outcome from it, and uh, I can. Uh, we had a huge. Huge turnout of um, brain teams for our home world championships you know, just 18 months ago, and and hopefully um, we'll see more of those teams uh, travelling overseas in the next uh, next year or two. Um, and then in terms of uh, competitive to the World Series, I think they're certainly seen as 
there's a bit of competition in there, um, and there's space for more than the World Series is still growing. Certainly, with the four expedition races added uh, yeah. in the last year, I think uh, that's very interesting to see some new events and new destinations. And uh, but yeah, hopefully they can uh, both stand on their own two feet and um, you know, add something to, to the sport without stepping on each other's toes. Well, hopefully the sport's growing enough that, uh, yeah, there is enough room for, you know, a bunch. Let's let's have a whole bunch of series around the world. I don't care. As long as we get the racers, right? (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. I agree. Yeah, yeah, the only danger maybe in the World Series um, growing to too many destinations is that Again, the, some of the criticism has been that it, it spreads the the competition too thin. But really, if we want to you know, grow the sport in uh, you know in Asia, well, we've got a, a new there's a new Japanese race, and um, hopefully, it's just going to build the number of teams um, you know, racing worldwide rather than yeah diluting. Yeah, well, and I think. You know what you're seeing it is a lot of races running every other year. So, you know that gives you, you know, if you have 20 races and they only run every other year, that's you know 10. So, it seems seems to be the smart way to do it. From where I'm sitting and looking at dark outside, but <laughs> smarter people than I are dealing with it, and that's that's probably a good thing. Yeah, if you've got a pool of 20 good events around the world, yeah, as you said, and uh, only 10 of them are part of the World Series each year, then that's good. But, yeah, you don't want to have uh, 10 and then five of them say, oh, no, we're having a rest this year. So Yeah. yeah. So, it's good to have that pool. Yeah. They've got uh, the opportunity to show their um, show the calibre of their event as well, I guess, before um, you know, maybe... Too many international teams go there and, and find that you know the event wasn't really um, as good as what they're expecting. Yeah. Um, hypothetical question: of the new races this year, the demonstration races. I don't know. Well, Shenandoah Tufts new. The AR Island one is new. Which one of those intrigues you the most? Uh, yeah, good question. Uh, look, I know the. For Adventure Medical Kids team, the Nordic Islands is the one that's been the most uh, interesting. I've actually been to Scandinavia quite a lot in my um, pre-career as an orienteer, and but yeah, the other other three guys have not been there at all. And look at traveling from one country to another, which is what um, that race has. Yeah. It appeals to a lot of people in in the uh, that, that expedition sense. Uh, yeah. And then, in terms of the demonstration races, uh, I think our team's going to go down and race in Patagonia in October as well. And uh, look, I've only really just looked at where the dot is on the map, and I haven't raced in Patagonia before or Argentina, and that looks really cool. Um, mm-hmm. And then. Japan as well as the other one that uh, is is getting some good interest from some of the Australian teams as well, uh, which not quite so far to travel um, from Australia. And I've heard that uh, that the area there is is very beautiful. It's actually known as a ski area for um, all the Australians head over there to get some powder. But uh, and and there's some pretty experienced organisers racing that one as well. So, and then with Croatia's there too, and oh, geez, that that's a beautiful, um, beautiful country. That comes one as well. But yeah, yeah, too many races and <laughs> too little time off work is um, is the problem now. Yeah. Well, well. Spoiler alert. So we're recording this on a Tuesday night. So tomorrow's tomorrow's episode, as we're recording this. So the the Valentine's Day episode of the podcast is with uh, Stefan talking about the Nordic AR. So, ah, it, yeah, yeah, it's 
it sounds like a really cool race. So <laughs> yeah, it's, but, it's been, I think Scandinavia uh, in particular, Sweden, they've had some really strong teams, and they still do have some really strong teams in yeah. in the World Series, but they haven't had uh, an event since Explore Sweden sort of stopped a few years ago, and oh, surely it, again, it's going to be pretty motivating for them to have a, a home event, and then you've mm. got other lots of other teams around Europe. Uh, it's actually the only full World Series event, I think, in Europe next year, or this year. So um, it's going to be uh, an incredibly strong field, I think. I, I agree. I've, I looked at, like, kind of a start list, team list so far, and it's like, yeah, that's uh, they're going to go fast. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So, so part of the attraction yeah. of racing there uh, is is the the number of daylight hours as well at that time of the year. I think uh, yes it makes racing much more enjoyable as well if you've got you know, eighteen hours of, of daylight or something like that. Yeah, it's actually <laughs> no you. You have to listen to the podcast because we actually—that's one of the things we talked about—is how much daylight there is. So, okay. it, it's a cool thing. Um, so I haven't talked to you since Cowboy Tough, and I don't even know if I really got a chance to talk to you very much after the race. You know how that—you know how those things go. But how how was your race? How was it? Did you meet your expectations. Um, no, Olaf was happy. <laughs> <laughs> um, look, I know I didn't uh, look particularly happy when I finished because I just found that that head-to-head racing for so long at the end of the race is um, just so stressful, particularly mm-hmm. for the navigator. And uh, when I finished, it was just like relief that that it was over. Um, and look, we were, we were very happy with our third place. And uh, certainly, yeah, having to replace Kyle, a three or four-time winner of Cowboy Tough, uh, with all of yeah. only a month out, uh, look, that was exceptional to get an athlete like that who can fit in and um, really you know, be fun to race with as well. And uh, so, yeah, but certainly, you know, we had a lot of expectations on on our team leading into the race and and we had sort of high expectations ourselves from our second place finish in Australia so yeah um, but look we certainly was by far perfect but none of the mistakes we made were um, like you know race ending or or put us too far behind the lead and then again like we've sort of shown quite a few of the other um, world championships or races that we can keep it together and come home pretty strong and you never know what's going to happen until we, until you get to the finish line and we've, we've done that a few times now but it was still yeah. amazing to, to think that we you know, moved up a spot just on that last bike ride that we all sort of expected was just a, you know, a bit of a right up over a hill but I, <laughs> I certainly had no idea how, how big that hill was <laughs> and um, and it was um, it was pretty fun, like the last 24 hours of that race. Well, fun in retrospect, um, seeing having all those teams around, and we could easily have finished you know, eighth in that race. But um, if some something small had have happened, um, yeah. But I think it's also not such a surprise um, that we finished strongly because. We knew that we'd slept more than some of the other teams around us, and in the end, mm-hmm. that it's it normally pays off. It doesn't always, but uh, yeah. it, it pays off in uh, making less mistakes, and uh, and that's sort of what showed with a few of the teams. teams yeah. yeah, yeah. Um. But the environment is beautiful. Mm-hmm. I, I've been there twice. Before just yeah. holidaying, uh, never done the cowboy tough race before, but it was um, even the bike riding was more interesting than what I expected. You know, Three hundred miles of bike riding to be, or or whatever. Um, I'd certainly 
a shame that there wasn't a little more off-track navigation, but I understand that's kind of just regulations in America that um, makes that quite difficult. But certainly, yeah, um, yeah very well-run event and good competition and, um, yeah, good memories. When you're doing that race, how do you break it down? Because you can't go to the start line and be thinking about the finish. Is it is it you know each leg to the next TA or to the next checkpoint or how do you, how do you break it down? So as, especially as a navigator. Yeah, look, I um, I've sort of said to my teammates for quite a few years that I don't well. It's changed a little bit now that we get the logistics planner further out. Uh, it does mm-hmm. show that it gives you a lot more time to uh, run that through your mind and you just get comfortable with what the race is going to be uh, as opposed to just getting 50 maps the, you know, the morning of or the night before the race and having to go through them all. Um, and I've had some good teammates who, who are also pretty good at preparing the maps and I often just say, oh, look, I just want to get the, the map handed to me and I'll just navigate on that map and you know, when I get to the end, just give me the next map and that's all I'll concentrate on um, so I don't have to think too far in advance and just think about you know, what you're doing at the time. Um, but, yeah, in terms of looking ahead, uh, I guess the longer I've been doing the sport, I'm less daunted by the fact that you might even be thinking about something that's going to happen in four days' time. Uh, and the, I guess the cruxes of that race or where we felt like we needed to be in a good position was at the start of the last kayak leg. We, we didn't really think, or the pack rafting leg, we didn't think too many places would change after that. And you know, as it was, yeah. they still did. But uh, And we had, you know, five teams around us at that time um, we really had to to fight to the end but uh, yeah it's we weren't really sure about uh, where we were going to sleep because we knew that we thought there'd be a sleep on the second night not on the first night that's generally how it goes and um, and we were sort of quite prepared to work pretty hard on the, the first day just to stay at the front or stay very near the front and yeah. that's what we had to do on the um, on that first overnight trek we certainly worked harder than what uh, we have in a lot of other races we physically you just had to hurt up over that first hill and push harder than what you, you know, really should be for a four day race but yeah. in terms of um, trying to be competitive and, and not let those teams get away then that's what we needed to do so, so you you sort of answered this, but how do you prepare your sleep strategy? Do you start figuring it from the start, or do you like go to, go to the finish and work your way back about when you should sleep, or do you just say we're not sleeping the first night and then figure it out? Uh, no, we pretty well do it from start to finish. I think because yeah. by the time if you plan. The other way, you might be like 12 hours out of your prediction and then mm. therefore you're sleeping where you should be. It's night where it should be day and it's day where it should be night. So you can, um, you know, of course you do a bit of a spreadsheet and work out from the expected fastest times where you think it's going to be night time and where it's going to be daytime. And so it was kind of obvious that we were going to be on the, the second long trek on the second night um, and yeah there was there'd have to be something going wrong to have a sleep on the first night but yeah uh, and yeah so we we actually slept for a hundred minutes on the second night and but I, I personally had a very poor sleep and that meant that that next morning I was actually yeah really really quite low mentally and uh, took it, and then when I still came good, uh, I thought I was feeling good. I then made an, an easy, like a very silly 
um, that mistake that I don't make many of, and um, and so that you know that really affected me compared to my teammates. Uh, and then what did we have the third night? I think we only had six leaps. Is that right? The third night we were yeah. riding along with um, one of the French teams and. We were probably a little bit weaker than them at that point, and eventually um, Mary fell off her bike, and Olaf Rone rode over the top of her, and Paul and I were kind of wondering what was going on. And when we finally met up, we decided, yeah, okay, it was like midnight. We we really needed to find somewhere to sleep, and luckily came across a uh, an old farm that had a couple of um, couple of wagons. That we uh, found one that wasn't too disgusting and, and slept in there, which was fantastic. So we had like a good two hours sleep there, and yeah. it was a lot better than you know fifty minutes laying in your bivy bag on the side of the track. Um, yeah, what most of the teams in, that passed us did, or were in front of us. Um, so yeah, when we that next morning on the on the end of the final. Uh, or the second section of that ridiculously long bike ride, we were like catching up to the teams, but as we did, they'd all kind of wake up, and then you know, we'd catch them very quickly, and then they'd wake up, and then they'd stick with us, and then by the time we finished that leg, there were like yeah four teams with us. They'd all sort of woken up along the way. You need to learn to sneak by them. Yeah, no, unfortunately, yeah. yeah, we didn't get a chance to, but. Yeah, I know that one of the Ecuador World Championships. That was one that had um, uh, there was mandatory sleep in Ecuador, yep. and yeah. but the problem was, which look, I don't, uh, I think is actually quite good. I'm a supporter of that, but because we made some mistakes and maybe time estimates were a bit out, it always seemed that every time we went to have a sleep, my Sleeping bag was in the other box, or it was, you know, I didn't have the gear when I needed it, and yeah, uh, and that can make it hard. You really got to try to spread out your, um, you know, some sleeping gear everywhere because you just can't predict that you're going to be and know where you're going to be at that time when you really need to sleep. Yeah, there's that. Um, you guys are, you know, old school. One of the, you know, a top team been racing together for a long time do you ever make big adjustments during a race from your race plan mm, good question um, no I can't really think of too many uh, there actually was one in uh, in God Zone in 2016 in Nelson which you were at where we had a bad First night, uh, or a few things gone wrong on the start of that race, and and then not a very good route choice on the end of this long trek leg, and we ended up finishing the trek in like the middle of the night on day two, which we were due to have a sleep, but we actually, rather than having like our typical hour and a half or two hours sleep, I think we slept for three and a half because we had like stretches there, uh, like the beds to lay down on and sleeping bags and it was just a good sleep and yeah. we decided I, I'm certainly one who's pretty bad for uh, always wanting to sleep a little bit more once we're there um, unless I'm cold but, so if I wake up, if someone asks me, I'll always say yeah we'll sleep some more but uh, that's why you need a stronger team captain to actually go no we're getting up now but that was one that it wasn't a wasn't planned, but it meant that we were able to again come home pretty strongly. Uh, yeah. I don't think we slept again for the rest of the race. I think we went through the third night without sleep, and then um, yeah. pushed those so Yeah, it, it doesn't happen too often where you actually change your strategy. It's just you've got to get used to um, always be aware that a leg's going to take quite often longer than what you think, um, more often than shorter. Yeah. yeah. Um, 
okay, we're gonna we're gonna wrap this up. I promise, but um, don't take this the wrong way because it it it's really a compliment. But why or how do you guys usually beat all the teams that you're around? Now there may be somebody way out in front of you, um, <clears throat> Seagate, but. <laughs> Whenever you're with a group of teams, it's like you almost always beat all of them. What's, yeah, how do you I, do that? I think I'm pretty well just giving away our secret there in terms of having a little bit more sleep um, mm-hmm. leading into that finish line. And, uh, yeah, we mightn't be necessarily moving any faster than the other teams, but there's more chance of them making a mistake. And yeah. surprisingly... Those teams often, yeah, you you are just able to make those decisions a little bit clearer in your mind. And, um, yeah, once, I guess, as long as I've been racing in that team, we've actually, we've really built confidence in uh, being able to come home strongly. And uh, once you've done it a few times, you you really feel, um, you know, like you believe that things are going to go your way. And... Mm -hmm. So far, that's kind of what it's been like in the finish um, Finish of most of the races I've done with AMK. Uh, but, yeah, nothing apart from, I guess, maybe a little bit more sleep and, uh, yeah, self-belief. Yeah, well, there's that. And I think that goes the other way, too. If, if there's teams around you that are like, God, these guys always go hard at the end. What are we going to do? So maybe you got a little of that with you, too. Yeah, I think the belief, well, Seagate have certainly shown it as well, is that you need to have good self-belief to sleep more. It's yeah. um, it's when you when you don't believe that you've got time, that you can make the time to sleep, but the teams don't. Um, and I think it's often a European-style way of racing as well. Um, mm. They tend to go a little bit, harder on the sleep deprivation and sometimes they might get through but uh, a lot of times they they might fall apart at the end as well yeah there's that um so um nordic ar what anything else planned for this year uh yeah the the team's racing uh well that's the other demonstration race as well which i forgot to mention is because I haven't had to think about it, is uh, the Yoga Slackers event in Oregon, which uh, oh, yeah. I haven't been to Oregon, but I've got no doubt that that's going to be a pretty cool event, and and those guys will, will make it interesting. Unfortunately, I won't be there for that one, um, but yeah. Uh, yeah, Kyle will be back with the team. Uh, and, yeah, Nordic AR... Hopefully, win the spot to the world championships, but we're not uh, not quite as focused on that as what we have been in, in some of the other years. Uh, yeah. And and then I might end up racing, doing some racing in China, or maybe go back to X Trail, which is actually the same time as uh, the Oregon race. Yeah. Uh, so I've done the X Trail the last two years, and uh, although I, you know say that I want to go and get new experiences. I do I do love the China experience and um, when you each year you forget about how difficult the travel is over there. But I do um, certainly remember how nice the countryside is and, and I've had good success the last two years too, so I kind of would like to go back but that might be um, with an Australian team perhaps. So yeah. yeah. The calendar's yeah. still um, still being worked out for that okay all right this is the last one and this one's going to get you in trouble what are you looking forward to and what are you dreading racing again with kyle (laughs) (laughs) Um, oh look you can't beat kyle's impersonations uh when you're racing with him Uh, Mm -hmm. and i can't really go too far into it but he's got some uh some pretty good impersonations of uh, well-known adventure racing uh, athletes and personalities, and yeah. to get you through the night. There's nothing quite like a few funny stories. 
that's definitely what I miss. Uh, and what I'm not looking forward to is uh, towing Kyle up big hills all around Reunion Island in hot weather. Yeah. <laughs> comes down to it. So, um, yeah. yeah, if he's going to make the start line there, he'll want to be fit. Yeah. Well, all I know is um, it's been a long time since there's been somebody butt-ass naked in the background of a picture in the TA, so I'm, I'm, I don't know if I'm looking forward to that or not, but <laughs> it is what it is. So. Yeah. yeah. No, look, it's, he's actually um, holidaying in Thailand on his honeymoon at the moment, so I'm sure he'll, um, he'll get back and be extra motivated once you once you've had a little bit of a holiday and a change and things like that. There's nothing like yeah. getting back home and resetting your goals. And uh, yeah. yeah, he's also he's had a few life changes moving recently as well. Uh, so yeah. once he gets settled there, uh, yeah, I'm sure it'll be um, hard to stop, particularly um, in the American domestic races. Yep. Well, we're. I think a lot of people are looking forward to. Uh, having him back so and seeing you again let's oh. not forget and yeah, we actually really enjoyed it was great to see Kyle at Cowboy Tough and yeah he thoroughly had a good time following the race and uh, they've got some fun interesting videos as well because I think from what I can see some of the athletes just opened up a bit more to Kyle because he was one of us uh, yeah and it's something that's a little bit more difficult for you to do, I think. Uh, so, so yeah, he, yeah, I, it was yeah. really good to have him there. Uh, and unfortunately, every time he seemed to see me or talk to me, I was in the in the hurt box. And everyone, <laughs> when I got home, everyone thought I must have had a really bad race. And was like, oh, I actually had a pretty good race. It was only ever when I saw Kyle that I was in trouble. But, <laughs> yeah. Well, you're just you're just used to being going hard when he's around, so yeah, just yeah. following on. So, okay, well, been a great chat, and I knew it would. So, well, I know who good guests. I know who I should ask to be on. <laughs> so, yeah, thank well, you. I've got a few other suggestions I can tell you offline as well. But um, have a great time. Well, definitely thoroughly enjoyed my trip there two years ago. Uh, and that's some incredible country they've got down there. And, uh, yeah. Yeah, and Doug and Julia, yeah, you know, they put on a great race. And Yeah. I'm just not quite sure about pack rafting 7K through a cave because we all know I don't like water and I don't like caves, but it sounds pretty cool. So. Oh, it sounds amazing, but then the other thing yeah. about caves is it's limestone terrain and... The limestone rocks, as we found out last time we were there, are very sharp and yeah. uh, could be quite a few punctures. But yeah, wow, that, yes. the caves there are just um, just amazing. Yeah, well, that will be a story for next time about you you paddling in a sinking pack raft for a half a day. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I know, that was quite difficult, so, but. Um, yeah. Oh look! I certainly love the pack rafting. It's just as long as the, the rafts, as long as you don't get a puncture, it's, um, yeah, it's one of the funnest things you can do. Yeah, that's good. All right, thanks for the chat. Cool. All right, keep it up, Randy. All right, thank you. Bye.
Put up with the time. We go around and circle. 